Episode 44 of the Football Fitness Federation podcast is with the head of Academy Sports Science at Celtic, Oliver Morgan. Oliver joined us to talk about the main differences between working in England and up in Scotland. Also his approach um, that he took going into a new role at a new club. And then he also touched on, um, even though it's early days, what he's doing with his professional doctorate as well. So it was great to have Oliver on. Um, there's some quality work going on up at Celtic, which you'll hear in the episode. And it was it was really good to speak to him and see exactly what's going on and uh, where the future lies with the academy at Celtic. At the time of this podcast going out, we're just over a week away from our next network meeting with Darren Burgess in Manchester. We have uh, got a couple of tickets still remaining, but once those tickets have gone, it's that's that event's going to be sold out. We are at limited uh, numbers of tickets at this event due to the size of the room. So massive thank you to everyone that's got a ticket. And we're really, really looking forward to getting Darren um, up in Manchester and talking to everyone that's going to be attending on Friday the 13th. We are very close also to announcing our next few meetings. We've got some really, really good venues lined up and some really good speakers lined up as well. So we will get those out to you as soon as possible. We're hoping to maybe get two or three meetings before the end of the year. So we will get those dates, the venues, everything released as soon as possible. Please, if you have enjoyed the podcast or enjoyed any of the episodes, head over to iTunes and leave us a review. We've got some great reviews on there so far and it'd be great to get just a few more. Um, So please head over there, leave us a five star and a short comment on the uh, guests you've enjoyed the most, some biggest takeaways from the podcast. That'll be awesome. Enjoy the episode with Oliver. Welcome back for another episode of the Football Fitness Federation podcast. I'm delighted today to be joined by Oliver Morgan. Oliver is the head of Academy Sports Science at Celtic. Oliver, thank you very much for coming on. No worries, Ben. Thanks for inviting me, mate. It's great to have you on. I know it's a busy time of year. You've got double workload at the moment, like you were mentioning just off air. Yeah, um, our under-18 sports scientist, Mark's been uh, on annual leave, so he's um, he's enjoying himself away on holiday, mate, in sunny Mallorca, and he's left me with uh, the wonderful weather of Glasgow and a nice little away trip to Aberdeen tomorrow. So, um, so yeah, I'll be looking forward to when he gets back. <laughs> We've got to get the win now, then. <laughs> yeah, definitely. If we do, we'll be getting some stick, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> definitely. Well, do you want to kick us off? I just mentioned your current role, but we'll build up to that. So talk us through your background, where you've been, what you've been up to, which is taking you up to where you are now. Yeah, brilliant. No worries. Um, so I'm from um, Hereford originally, which is a, a small sort of uh, town in sort of West Midlands. Um and I went to uni not really sort of knowing what I wanted to do, to be honest, at the end of it. And I haven't got a lot of experience or at the time I didn't have a lot of experience or knowledge in and around sports science. Or I didn't really know too many people that had sort of done sports science degrees. And um, as anyone really that's probably ended up working in professional sport, I was a, a proper sport fanatic as a kid. Um, loved football, uh, rugby, tennis, um, swimming, just you know, loads of sports as, as most sort of kids did then. And I was always pretty good at school, really. So I kind of, it was quite natural then to sort of bring the two together. So, you know, I went to college and, and did biology, psychology and, and sort of PE, really, which I thought would set me up really nicely for a, an undergraduate degree. I love college. I thought it was a really, really good time. And so I went to University of Birmingham then. Um, 
to do my undergraduate degree. And, and the university boom was great at the time. We had um, Anton Wagamakers, we had Asking that you contribute, we had Kevin Tipton, so we had some really good um, high-level sort of lecturers and researchers, really. Um, and yeah, it was a really good time. So I was, I was there from sort of 2007 onwards, and we sort of come towards the, our second year. And at the time, University of Birmingham had, had an internship program with West Brom, who was set up by uh, Dan Harris. And not really knowing too much about it, I didn't really apply for it. Um, and lo and behold, my best mate um, ends up getting the job, got the internship. And then the more I sort of heard about it, the more gutted I was about sort of not applying for it. Um, anyway, so about the time in, in, in the Midlands, Mark Jarvis had a S&C forum group and different people, different sports scientists and practitioners would sort of go in and sort of talk shop and, and chew the fat, really, I guess. Um, so the guys from Cov could go, West Brom, Derby, um, Leicester, um, different people from the EIS, uh, Warwickshire Cricket, etc. And, and my mate Nick at the time, Nick Adkin, uh, he met Andy O'Boyle and, and Andy was working at Cov. And so Andy sort of said, uh, you know, I'm looking for interns. If you know of anybody, let me know. So he sort of passed that message on and I got in contact. I had an interview and lucky enough, I got the role. So that was sort of my way into sports science at the time. Um, so Andy was at the first team and at Coventry with a championship at the time, managed by Chris Coleman. So it was a really good experience and really good environment for me to go into and really understand what was going on. Um, so I managed to do my dissertation then in and around sort of some data that we collected in the academy. Um, that came to an end. And then in, in 2010, then that was, um, Coventry Uni did a, a studentship working with sort of Robbie Wilson from Queensland, Australia, looking into some talent ID work. Um, so I applied for that and I'm really lucky enough to get that and that allowed me then to sort of carry on working with Andy at the first team but then also sort of started to experience more um, academy based structures and, and, and provision in sort of um, in youth athletes so that was great it was really good uh, I managed to sort of get my MRAs done there and that was part of a larger project then to getting published which was great it was Robbie Wilson's work there um, which was you know really good process to be part of and it, it was just a really good environment to sort of cut my teeth to be honest and understand what sports science support really does look like um and we had different managers at the first team as well so Eddie Boothroyd came in he brought Martin Pert in and Martin Pert was his assistant manager at Coventry but it was his fitness coach at Watford so he brought a, a really different aspect of, of what sports science and, and fitness coaching can be like so I had some really good sort of mentors there with Andy and, and Martin and at the time as well, other interns that came in, we had Tom Barnden, Lee Marsh, Tom Brownie are there. And, you know, they've all gone on, done really well in their sort of respective careers. So it was a really, really good little environment, actually, that sort of kicked on. And and um, and everyone sort of did really well. It's just a great place to sort of learn, I guess. And then that sort of came to the end of that then in 2011. And Andy, got, um, Andy ended up getting the job as um, head of academy sports science at, at Liverpool. Um, and there was a junior position going and uh, Andy put my name forward so I went and had an interview for that which was with Barry Just actually and he absolutely grilled me absolutely grilled me which was a very <laughs> humbling and grinding experience I don't know if he remembers much of it really I should bring up with him but uh, yeah that was a really interesting one for me again I was lucky enough to get that role so I was I was 22 and, and started working at, at Liverpool Football Club which was unbelievable I was absolutely buzzing um, and that sort of started my time off at, at Liverpool and I was I was there for almost eight years then at Liverpool and I was, I was really lucky to um, work in sort of different situations really and, and sort of different environments. So um, we had, well, there was three different managers there when I was there. So it was Kenny, Gla- Kenny Dalglish was there and he had Darren Burgess as, as his fitness coach when 
I first went there and then Brendan Rodgers came in and he brought in Rylan Morgans, who's slightly different again. And, and then Jurgen Klopp's come in and he's brought in um, Andreas and the sort of the German team really, which were very, very different again. So sort of three different philosophies and methodologies to learn from. And even in the academy setting, um, Andy O'Bor sort of moved on to the Premier League and Jack A came in and he had sort of slightly different ideas and stuff. So it was a really, really another great place to learn, um, which kept things really fresh. So like, you know, eight years is quite a long time really to be somewhere. Um, but I was quite lucky that my role sort of changed um, throughout it as well, which, which kept things, as I said, fresh really. So um, I went in to do the sort of nine to 16s at the time and there was only three of us uh, in the academy at the time there. So you kind of had pitch-based responsibilities and non-pitch. So my non-pitch responsibilities are more the sports science and sort of data side of stuff. Um, so I, I kind of sort of picked up that and looked into the anthropometrics of things and um, maturation side of stuff, physical testing, GPS monitoring, internal load, all that sort of side of stuff. Um, and that, that ended up sort of growing and growing really um, as sort of time went on and that kind of morphed into its, into its own role really. Um, so I went more into that side. And then that role sort of, morphed again a little bit to more of an end stage rehab role because that was a role that we found that was probably an area that was lacking at the time which was great which was new again and, and that again then moved on to probably just a, a rehab fitness coach role which I ended up doing for the last sort of couple of years at my time at Liverpool and that was great that was a great role I really really enjoyed it I sat in between departments so I sat in between physiotherapy and sports science um and I had like my own little team in in a way so we had interns that came in specifically and just to work with the rehab sort of side of stuff and it was great it was a really again another great learning opportunity learning from lots of physios and doctors and and bits and pieces um so yeah life was really good life was really good I was you know really enjoying things in that role and and then yeah I got a phone call out the blue and Chelsea wanted to know if I'd I'd be interested in coming over and having a chat and and talking about would I head up their sort of sports science department. Um, they've got aspirations to sort of kick things on and, and, and bits and pieces. So the more they sort of spoke about it and the more they sold it to me, the more I wanted to do it. So I came up, had an interview and um, yeah, ended up again, lucky enough to get the role. And so that's where I've been really since, um, since January, 2019. Um, and then, Alongside that, I've also been doing my prof doc as well, uh, which I started in at Liverpool and I sort of carried on here really, uh, which has also been really, really good. So, so yeah, that's kind of me up to speed, I guess, from, from undergrad to master's to prof doc and from Coventry in 2009 to sort of Celtic in, in sort of 2019, really. Yeah, and it's definitely something we're going to touch on is your, is your doctorate um, shortly. But what I wanted to go into was, obviously, I mentioned at the start, you're now a head of, head of Academy um, Sports Science at Celtic. So yeah. what are some of your key roles and responsibilities? Um, well, coming here, I was, I was tasked really to, to build a new department um, or develop the department that was already here and, and sort of bring in Academy Sports Scientists in order to, to to uh, provide an elite level of sports science support throughout the academy, really. Um, so I probably say that sports science support in a lot of clubs in Scotland and Scotland in general, I guess, is probably not where it is in England. Um, and sort of Celtic being Celtic, they want to be at the forefront of, of sort of pushing things forward, really. Um, and I was fortunate enough to spend such a long time at, at LFC. I was I was part of the the development of the department there. So um, we saw the effects of the Triple P and 
and then been lucky enough really to use that experience to, to help navigate the progression of the department here. Um, so there's things that, you know, I would do again and wouldn't do again. And, and sort of based on that trial and error to some degree, I guess, from, from Liverpool and, you know, I went into to Liverpool and there was three members of staff. I left, there was 12. So, you know, shows you sort of how much it's, it's grown really. So I got to use a lot of that, I guess. Um, but effectively, like our, our main responsibility here is, is to develop athleticism um, and then athleticism that's required to perform at the elite level. And, and my role specifically within that is, is to bring the right people in in the right areas and put in structures and processes that will allow us to deliver on those aims. And, and you know, those aims obviously fit within the the main academy. Um, and I guess I've been tasked really of doing needs analysis. Um, and I sort of done that on a three pronged attack, I guess. So on the, on the, on the sport, on the player and, and the environment, um, I guess that the sport's the easiest one. You could probably pick up a handful of, of lit review papers and get a relatively good idea of what match demands are and both sort of professional and, and youth level, youth level, level football. Um, and the players then probably the next easiest one again you could probably do the same and start testing and getting a rough idea of, of what or where players may be up to and then I guess the, the harder part of the player is then the individual and the psychology side of stuff but I guess the toughest one's been the environment and sort of sussing out how we can then put these processes in that I've sort of got in mind and, and, and moulding it around Celtic and and the Celtic way for the use of a better term I guess you know and, and, and putting in what's what's important here and and using the coaches here and things that are already in place and, and trying to, as I said, putting these elite level processes. Um, so yeah, so that's kind of what I've been tasked with really. So I'm not really here to sort of deliver to a specific age group. I deliver across all age groups, um, whether that's reserves or whether that's to our under nines, it's kind of whether it, whether it's needed really, I guess, which is great for me. It's a great role. You know, I can sort of, um, work with lots of different ages and you know it brings lots of fun I guess working with lots of different ages from kids to professionals so so yeah so that's kind of what we've been up to really so far and you mentioned it a little bit before but what are some of the main differences between working with Liverpool or working in England and, and working up in Scotland um, I guess the main difference is really probably down to sort of staff and structures and numbers and department sizes and I guess that's across all departments not just sort of sports science um, and I guess again the main difference is, is kind of where we're up to in terms of I don't want to say journey because it sounds a bit cheesy really but you know progression if you want to use it sort of that word and um, in England I was you know I saw what pre-Triple P was like and the effects of what the E-Triple P brought in and and in Scotland, we have sort of Project Brave, which is slightly different to each of in, in, in terms of the audit sense. And it's a slightly different structure of developments. They have performance schools here, which run alongside the club development and sort of professional side of things. Um, but because of those differences between the audits um, and how things are sort of structured in sort of criteria sense, we probably won't see that same boom period that we did in sort of around 2012 onwards, where there was a great increase in, in staff and structures and numbers and processes and um and different bits and pieces really so that's probably one of the main differences there and well as i said before i when i joined um well when i joined celtic there was two members of staff and i made i made the third member of staff in the academy sports science department and, and um when i joined liverpool in 2011 that was the same so i wouldn't quite say it was a direct comparison of 2011 to 2019 as as we're definitely in different positions as staff and as an industry, I think we're a lot further developed in terms of academy sports science and that sort of niche, really. Um, 
but arguably we're you know we're more in our formative years of developing in terms of developing our elite level of, of provision here um so i guess that's kind of the sort of the main area but i think really realistically we'll very quickly be in a better position um you know, if we compare where we were in, in January 2019 to where we'll be in January 2020, we'll go from three members of staff at Celtic to, to eight members of staff, um, and that'll be four full-time members of staff, uh, full-time psychologists, and, and three PhD students. Um, plus, we'll be in a sort of new gym facility and other bits and pieces, really. So hopefully, very, you know, very quickly, we'll, we'll be in a better position. And you know, Working at a club like Celtic, we're, we're very much keeping an eye on England and the EPPP and, and using that as our yardstick, really, as well. Um, to sort of push ourselves on and, and making sure that as quickly as possible, really, we can be on sort of a level footing with the type of clubs that, you know, we should be on a level footing with in terms of development. You know, your Arsenal's, your Chelsea's, your Spurs, your Liverpool's and, and United's and Cities. So, um, yeah, I guess they're sort of the, the main sort of structured differences, really, uh, between England and Scotland. And I think it'd be great for coaches to hear about your um, like your mindset going into the role at Celtic on how you actually approached going into a club where you said there was limited sports science provisions. But what were your, um, I suppose, priorities when you first went into that role? Yeah, so, you know, it's coming into a, a club like Celtic, Celtic's a huge, huge club and... Um, it's a huge global brand. It's you know the first British club to ever win the Champions League. You know, it's a huge fan base, and and um, you know developing players here has been a big part of Celtic. Even you know you've just got to look at sort of the first team structure now: Callum McGregor, Mikey Johnston, Ewan Henderson. They've obviously just sold Kieran Tierney to Arsenal. You know, it's a big, big part of the club is is the development. Even in the coaching staff, you've got John Kennedy's former player that's coaching in the first team and. Got Steve McManus, who does our under 18s, is you know captain the club. So there's you know de- development of players is closely interwoven throughout the whole industry, really. So it was you know coming in, I knew there was going to be some some very good things that were going on. Um, even though sort of maybe sports science probably wasn't quite where we were probably hoping it to be. Um, and I'm not, I hope I'm not doing sort of Scott and Mark a disservice there in the academy. And there's some lots of excellent work that goes on at Celtic, but I realistically. I read a book before I came in. It's called First Night Day. So it's by Michael Watkins. Excellent book. Really good book. Um, and he's, he talks about star approach. So he looks at the different areas. So it could be a startup, turnaround, accelerated growth, realignment, or sort of sustaining success. And for me, this probably was a bit of a startup and accelerated growth. So I kind of looked at that and thought, well, we are effectively starting up a sort of a new business here, really wanted to grow very, very quickly. So I did a 30 day review when I first came here, um, which was just an observation really effectively of what we do and and why we do it and and where we think we need to improve very quickly. And, and, you know, what's the low lying fruit. Um, And this was followed by a feedback session and and sort of proposed solutions. Um, So I presented this to to the manager at the time and to Peter Lawwell, the CEO and and, uh, the members of staff really. And, and, just concentrate on a few key areas that I thought we could have a really, really big impact and some really big early wins. And the foot sort of the first key areas were sort of staffing structures. And and the second was facilities and equipment. So I already had an idea of what these were before I came in. Excuse me. Um so I was already like a little bit armed really in terms of of what I thought. And you know, from speaking and listening to lots of different podcasts and speaking to different people, everybody, you know, you speak to will always say get the get the right people in the right roles. That's the first thing. So 
that was by and large the first thing that I wanted to do and you know take time to bring in staff and I guess speaking about those needs analysis earlier it's, it's having an idea of, of what I think we needed to have and but you know what Celtic needs to have and what's right for the environment um, so that's what we did we did the observation and, and um, concentrate on those key areas of, of mostly staff and, and facilities and equipment and then alongside that then we looked at nutrition and education and, and using those other coaching staff um, I always knew that you know, due to funding restrictions here, I guess in Scotland, you know, we were never going to have a size of department that the likes of your Chelsea's or Arsenal's may have. Um, but we could certainly provide an elite level of service. Now, coaches do a lot of athletic development that they probably just don't really term athletic development, if you know what I mean. Um, so I kind of looked at looked at that really as sort of. In, Coaches being our, our sort of main source of employ, uh, you know, being our main employees, really. So if I can sort of affect what coaches do on a daily basis um, and we can add in athletic development there into sessions and in, in, in during the week, I think that will have a huge, huge impact. So we've concentrated a lot there, really, um, just in terms of education and, and upskilling knowledge and, and bits of CPD and workshops. So, you know, we've done bits on maturation, we've done bits on athletic development and how do we put it in, how do we make it fun and and you know all that sort of side of stuff really um uh from the long-term athlete development models that we want to put in place going all the way from fundamentals into a bit more specific later on but that's kind of what we spent a lot of time on really was education of the coaches as well um and i guess shine the light on sort of where on sports science provision is in scotland and and sort of using the triple p and, and english clubs as sort of a as i said a bit of a yardstick really and just yeah opening people's eyes a little bit to to what's going on. I think people are quite surprised really at the size of departments in, in England and academy structures there and how thorough they are. And, you know, you go from being a generalist to a specialist and you end up having quite a few specialists in, in different areas from psychology to nutrition to people working specifically with nines to twelves. And then, you know, from the thirteens to sixteens and others working with just reserves, etc. Whereas probably here we probably a bit slightly more broader. Um, so people were quite surprised, I guess. So I, I, yeah, I guess that was it. That was my main approach was just to feedback and and let people sort of know what's going on, as well as just education, I guess. Awesome. Can you can you repeat the the title and the author of the book that you said you read? Yeah, it's by Michael Watkins. Um, I think it's called The First Ninety Days. I'm pretty sure it's called The First Ninety Days, um, or The Ninety Day Plan, or I'm pretty sure it's called. Um, but it's a really good book. I recommend it. It's all about what they term transitioning, so transitioning from um, one role to another and, and especially into sort of management. Um, so Jack Naylor bought it at me, actually. So Jack Naylor's the head of sports science here, and he bought it at me before I, before I moved up. He got recommended the book. He read it himself, thought it was a decent read. So he, he bought us a copy and sent it down, which was really good of him. Um, but it's a really good read. You can get it on Amazon Audible as well. Um, yeah, I'd definitely recommend it for anybody that's, you know, even if you're tra- transitioning sort of in-house or even externally. Um, yeah, it's a really, really good read. It can, can just help you sort of set up those sort of first critical 90 days, really, and talking about early wins and influencing sort of the right people need to influence and, and just setting up a structure to give you the best chance of, of succeeding, really. So, yeah, I'd definitely give it a read. No, that's cool. Yeah, I'm going to check it out. So... Can you give a bit of an overview? Because you, you talked about your role covering under nines right the way through to reserves and and getting that exposure to different different age groups. So, can you give a bit of an overview on how you guys approach the development of of athletes at Celtic? Yeah, definitely. So, um, 
for me, really, I think the main two things are probably environment and um, and ownership. So I don't think they're solely independent. Um, there's definitely a sort of reciprocal relationship between the two, really. Um, but the first thing I think I, when we got here was to outline a sort of a, a multi-stage long-term athlete development plan um, for youth physical development. So I think everyone here sort of probably had the same ideas of, of what they wanted to do, but no one had really sort of committed to paper. So I guess there was no map, you know what I mean? There was no real sort of guide, I guess, in terms of um, what we were looking to do. So that was one of the first things that we sort of put in place just to get everyone on the same page and sort of sing off the same hymn sheet, really. And we'll use that then for the new staff that are coming in and we can educate, not educate, sounds a bit patronising, but, you know, get people up to speed, I guess, that in sort of that regard and, and use it sort of outside for, for other members of staff and other departments so we can have a bit of transparency there, really, and everybody can understand what we're doing. Um, so we broke those down into sort of different areas, really, that plan. You know, I guess it's what anybody would do effectively, but um, what other people have done. But, you know, we, we, find a, we look to produce a, a flexible blueprint um, where individualised programmes could be administered, really. Um, then we use it like an integrated neuromuscular trainer model, which most people do. Um, uh, we go from more general stuff to more specific stuff um, for our athletic development processes. Um, but we effectively look to profile, and we profile players, um, and that looks slightly different at different age groups um, with the amount of detail that we go to. So from that profile, we look to engage the player and sort of build a program sort of together as much as we possibly can and sort of feedback our thoughts. And I've seen lots of different profiling um, really and from different places and different sports and I've used different ones myself. Um, but we, we put into it quantitative and qualitative data. Um, from quantitative data, we'll, we'll try and normalize it and, and try and use standard deviations to work out our thresholds. And, and we've ended up just going with the basic color coding system, which sounds uber, uber simple, but it kind of, that's the beauty of it, I guess. You know, if you sit down with any player and his program's full of red bits, he's going to quite quickly understand what sort of where he's up to in terms of comparisons chronologically or maybe biologically. Um, likewise, if it's, if it's all amber and some bits are green, some bits are red, he's going to very quickly tell you where he sort of needs to work on and, and sort of what his strengths are. Um, so that's what we look to do. And that's kind of how we look to do things is, is to pr produce this profile. Cause I think that can really then increase that ownership. So instead of, you know, I think we need to flip the, flip the environment. So these, these kids are, are very much used to being in school, which are very much told what to do, where to go. You've got to be there at this time. And, you know, you can't be doing this. You've got to be doing that and everything else really. So I'm really keen on flipping that environment and just getting, getting that engagement really from players so you know sitting down with someone and letting them understand where they're up to as, as an athlete and I'm, I'm not certainly not here to to suggest that we've got all the answers but if we can help to you know shine the light on on them as an athlete and sort of say this is kind of where we think you're up to in terms of your speed or change of direction deficit or strength or power or endurance or wherever it needs to be and you sort of sit down with them and sort of say you know, what's your thoughts on this? They'll very quickly, as I said, come to you and say, well, this is where I think I'm weak. And from that position, then we can then just turn around and say, well, how can I help you? You know, what, what can I do to, in this situation to help you get to where you need to get to? And they'll very quickly come up with some excellent answers. Um, and, you know, you can sort of sit there together, even though we full well know we, we probably know what we're going to do with that player to some degree, whether that's strength training or mobility training or what, you know, whatever area that needs to be. Um, we, we sort of try and get the answers out of them as much as possible. And that's where that sort of ownership comes and that sort of ownership environment really and, and getting as far away from school as possible. Um, 
but that's kind of what like you know what we look to do and with a sort of professional development phase or you sort of use the five bandings and sort of everything else we sort of use three bandings and we just use simple traffic light colors and or five colors with the sort of the older age group really um you know and once you sit down with the player and he's sort of given you a rough idea of what he wants and we can go give an idea of what we want you know we can quite quickly come to an agreement on when we're going to work on it how we're going to work on it um and yeah it just flips that environment on its head really and creates that buy-in and ownership which i think is really really key um and then players want to go into the gym you know they want to do extras and that breeds and multiplies throughout the group really and then you start to really get that development culture which i think is, is really really important um and i think that you know that's the essence really of development you know then I, I just can't stress it enough, I guess, that I don't really want to have that school environment. And, and I think the beauty of it is when, or the, the, the most gains you'll get is when you've got that, that culture of players that come to you and they want to do more, you know. And players will then come to you during the off-seasons or they'll come to you and they'll text you and ring you, can I do a bit of this? And this is what I'm thinking. And, and you know, that as I said, that, that breeds and, and it increases the quality of all the sessions, you know. And... um. I did a did a presentation today actually with the under 18s and we're talking about athletic development and how we're going to put it in and the pre-training sessions and bits and pieces and stuff and I was very much trying to say listen guys if you want to sort of end up playing at sort of the best competition in the world if we're sort of saying that's the Champions League and um, you know we can sit down together and sort of provide a Champions League sort of level program between you know us as staff and you as a player all you realistically need to bring every day is a Champions League level attitude so as long as you can come to work every day um, and understand that, you know, you can try your best and, and, and really sort of buy into what we're doing here, we, you know, we're really going to have some sort of success in terms of athletic development. Um, and Steve Peters speaks about something in his um, Chimp Paradox book, which has always really stuck with me, to be honest. And he talks about the difference between commitment and motivation. So we all know that players are committed to being a, a professional footballer. There's no doubt about that. You know, they wouldn't be in the place that they are if, if they weren't committed. And, and commitment's pretty fixed. Um, but motivation, he, he claims, is, is a bit more undulating and it isn't fixed. Um, so, it's, you know, so it's up to us a little bit to sort of help with that motivation when it's, when it's at a bit below. You know, and, and motivation, as we all know, you know, we're all the same. So, you know, I've got a holiday in a few weeks, Ben. I'm, you know, committed to maybe shifting a bit of body fat, but, you know, going on the weather in Glasgow, I might not always be up for going for that sort of 5k run in the morning or whatever. So, you know, players are exactly the same. We've, you know, we've all worked with players in that sort of environment, really. So we've got to try and provide that environment that helps them to get motivated. And I really think in engaging them and getting them to buy in to the process and, and help to contribute to that process is, is vitally important. Um, so yes, yeah, so that's our ethos really in terms of in terms of developing players. We we try and you know use the pre-training throughout all age groups really, sort of um, from under 13s up to, all the way up to under or under 18s in the reserves. We'll use that sort of half an hour block before training because I find that players are really fresh mentally, physically. You can get some really high quality work in there. Um, kind of nicked um, athletes' performance or sort of exos model really of their sort of movement prep stuff to some degree where you've got sort of set stations and you move from one to the next so you might start with mobility move to activation from there maybe some movement mechanics work follow with some plyos some position specific base work um that's the kind of basic model that we sort of we use really and we tie that into then to the periodization of the week so 
you know, if that's further away from the game and we're doing more intensive day and that's small space day and that's going to elicit more change of directions and agility, well, great. Well, that's when we'll do our pre-training work that's going to be more athletic development based around agility and, and change of direction. Likewise for bigger, bigger spaces and, and max speed, for example. Um, so, yes, yeah, so that's kind of the biggest time that we sort of use really for our athletic development. Um, obviously, then alongside that is our strength and power sessions that we get a few times during the week and then maybe some individual work um, depending on groups, depending on uh, coaches, depending on time and, and sessions and different bits and pieces. But that's kind of like a, a quick snapshot, I guess, of, of how we look to address things, really, um, to be honest. Yeah, no, I think that's a great overview of what you've got going on. I think it's uh, an attitude. I think it was John Phillips who mentioned about educating players and the importance of that and them taking responsibility. And I think that's echoed in what you're saying there, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. And I was um, from working in rehab um, you, you end up working with players very very closely uh, on a one-to-one basis really and, and you try and sell it as much as you can in terms of you know you're your own business you know you should look at yourself as, as a self-employed business and I'm just here as sort of a, a contractor as a way to try and help you get to sort of where you need to get to um, and so working very closely with players throughout rehab and um, and creating that relationship and bond and, and getting them to sort of buy into things um, to a real high degree, um, which they kind of inherently do because they're injured and they want to get back into sort of playing. Excuse me, I've, I've really just tried to sort of take that into a, into a team-based sort of setting, really. And I think, it, I think it works, I really do. I think it's massive. I think it's, you know, if players are going to end up basically either going to the first team where they're expected maybe to be a professional and an adult and maybe do that themselves or take it on themselves or going out on loan and you know they might have different facilities limited facilities or access to different things you know they need to have that independence um and and knowledge of, of what to do and, and why to do it really so i think it it's given them you know sort of the elite mindsets and elite habits that's going to be required to be a you know have a career whether that's career at the highest level or or not really yeah, no, that's quality. So if we if we move on to your doctorate, I mean, can you talk us through first a, a professional doctorate, what it is, why it's important, and then go into I know I know you've said you're in like the early stages of what you're doing, but do you want to cover what you're actually going going into doing as well? Yeah, so um, professional doctorate um, LGMU is set up by uh, Barry Drust and Zoe Knowles and Keith George and um, it's a process that's been going on since about 2016 and it's effectively a level 8 qualification it's partly aligned with a sort of a PhD process um, but sort of a very much a standalone qualification but it's you know designed around and for everyday practitioners and, and, and people in work um, so I think the way in which it was best sold to me really was a PhD is going to give you the skills in order to become a researcher you know, which is great. I think that's, you know, a really valuable thing. But the difference between that and a prof doc is a prof doc is, is here to develop researcher practitioners, uh, which I think is a, a real key um, distinguishing factor, really. Um, and I think personally that being a researcher practitioner, and this might be slightly controversial to some people, I'm not sure, but being a researcher practitioner, I think is potentially the, sort of the pinnacle of, of where we could sort of probably be as practitioners. And so the reason why I say that and what I mean by that is, being a practitioner on, a, on an everyday basis will, you know, will allow you to acquire a certain array of skills and a certain variety of skills. Um, but I think there'll come a time where that maybe plateaus in terms of sort of your learning and your sort of development, and you might hit a bit of a glass ceiling potentially. 
Um, and I had a bit of a sort of moment of realization with this really, to be honest. Um, but for working in rehab and sort of sitting between departments, I'd get questions from all angles. <laughs> I'd get questions from the sports science side of stuff, the physios and, and the coaches on, on, you know, why are you doing this effectively? And more from an inquisitive point of view, um, sort of why are you doing this and, and, and everything else really. So, um, I effectively just had to, you know, if I had a problem, I'd, I'd try and come up with a solution based on whatever it was in terms of rehab. And, but then you start to sort of question yourself and, you know, effectively led me to, to evaluate my efficacies. So, you know, basically has this worked? Has this intervention I put in place worked? Am I actually achieving what I set out to achieve? Um, and that's where I think, that's where, where things really lie in terms of wanting to be the sort of the best practitioner you can be or best, you know, athletic development if we sort of look at it as a more of a, a youth-based model. Um, and I think you need those research skills in order to be able to sort of answer those questions. And, and they might even be quite simple questions to answer, but might or you know may or may not require simple or slightly more complex sort of research skills. Um, so it, you know, it could be something as, as basic as looking at things like technical error of measurement, or so you know, if you're doing skin fold assessments, you know, what is your error of measurement? You know, how confident are you that there's been a change there, or smallest worthwhile change the same sort of thing you know how confident are you that there's there's actually been a positive or negative effect here in in terms of your intervention on on, on physical based testing scores um so that's kind of the the main sort of difference really and i think that that research of practitioner is such a key key element of, of a prof doc and because of that sort of bit more of a harmonious relationship between your academia sort of studies and your everyday practitioner sort of life you don't sort of get that conflict that sometimes you can see with with PhD students and we had a really tight link and there still is a really tight link at uh, Liverpool and LJMU and I've seen a lot of PhD students sort of come in to Liverpool and, and do really well and I've seen others that have maybe struggled a little bit really um, so I think that process of if it's just a bit more of a, a better fit effectively for sort of practitioners um, I think it's something that's really, really valuable when you, you know you come out with a, a slightly different lens and perspective. I think of the of way to look at things by having that level eight qualification. Really, no, I think that's awesome. So, what's the what's the focus of yours? Well, um, my real life question, really, or that sort of led to my research question, was we spend a lot of time on on movement mechanics. Um, you know you speak to any coach and he talks about fluid movers good movers you know he looks stiff or wooden or whatever um, and you know we spend a lot of time doing trying to harness movement and finesse and and be an eloquent sort of you know mover or have physical literacy and stuff but how are we actually sort of measuring this and you know you know is what we're doing actually working effectively um, so that led me down the path of, of do we really know what we sort of maybe should be doing in football um, which is a bit of an odd question to ask, really. But then that kind of led me to, well, what are we sort of doing in games? Because if we know what we're doing in games effectively, then we can know what we need to train on. So that kind of led me down to sort of my directional movements and change of direction during games. And really, if you look around to it, there's not a lot of literature on it. And there's only sort of one really main paper that gets referenced a lot, and that's the Johnny Bloomfield study. Um, and as good as that study was, it does have some sort of limitations in it, sort of in terms of the methodology. Um, so in terms of their sort of player cams were, were based on Sky, the sort of the old Sky sort of player cams and these sort of 15 minute blocks to sort of look at um, to movement and sort of change of direction. It was all sort of subjective analysis. Um, you know, and we've got some great information from that, but sort of based on that really, so sort of one of my main studies has just been a basic observation 
study just describing to basically describe you know say what you see so what actually happens in games and and what the players do and what do they go through so you know so we've done player cams for 90 minutes for five different positions five different players and just describe what happens so you know so some of the variables that we've looked at might have been just frequency of change of directions the difference between first half and second half frequencies we've tried to look at um, objective change of change of direction angles using the sort of gps and using the raw coordinates to try and triangulate a uh, an angle really so we're still in the early stages of, of that part but um, even just in terms of the direction that you know the players are facing both pre and post change direction um, the majority of agility or change direction tests that you'll look at you'll always be sort of moving in a linear forward facing motion change direction and then be moving forward facing a linear direction afterwards well actually from looking at our work and some of the pilot work that we've done so far um, and we've done almost all of the games um, that actually doesn't happen that often. Well, maybe only up to like 50% of the time in some positions. And there are definitely positional differences. And you know, it kind of, I guess you could probably know this a little bit um, just with your own eye, but I guess you don't know until you know in some regards. But, you know, there's a lot of other movements that sort of go on in, in different positions, whether that's sort of sideways to go backwards or, or backwards to go forwards. But, you know, even if you had the best change of direction or agility test that was all singing or dancing and it was everything that you could possibly want it to be, at best it would only actually describe maybe 50% of how well that player is going to perform in a multi-directional task during a game. So these things I think are really, really important and, and, and can really sort of maybe highlight some, some deficiencies that we've got in sort of our sports science provisions really. Um, that alongside, as I said, the sort of change of, change of direction angles or what velocity you want to be preceding the change of direction so looking at it, it's actually quite rare that you're 100% maximal going into a, a change of direction, whereas all tests are all time-based. So, you know, are these really the underlying sort of parameters that really dictate successful change of directions or not? Are, you know, are our variables that we're looking at really giving us a better indication of whether people are better movers or not? I'm not really sure. So hopefully this is kind of the stuff that we can look more into as the sort of prof dot goes forward, really. But um yeah, so that's kind of what we've sort of started to unearth, really. And it's sort of stuff that we've started to put into rehab programs, um, end of um, end stage rehab programs. It's sort of stuff that we've put into athletic development work. So just in terms of basic movements, so um, whether it's fundamental based or whether it's maybe slightly more sort of position specific later on, it's just can you move in sideways to go forwards or backwards to go sideways or maybe a curve run to go there and just a bit more of a perspective on on what, of what's required effectively I guess so that's kind of what we're looking at it's still, <laughs> still a long way to go I'm only part time just with uh, workload of sort of everyday everyday life really it's kind of hard to to devote lots of time to it but um, it's been a really really uh, exciting process so far so hopefully we can we can start sort of pushing more and more data right as we as we, uh, as we continue yeah that sounds great and it'll be really interesting to see uh, the findings and what and what you guys focusing on because I think some of the stuff you touched on there is I think they're quite misunderstood areas aren't they and and like especially the tests they've just been things that we've done things that are sort of set in stone and no one's really challenged it so the fact that you're going into that is it sounds great and I'm keen to see what what comes from it yeah and I guess you know it probably stems from a lot of things that you said there stem from the fact that it's just probably slightly under-researched um, yeah. not in terms of maybe change of direction 
speed i think that's probably quite well researched in terms of different tests that you can do but actually what happens during a game i think is actually quite under research so you know the more as we said you know said it a few times but the more light we can sort of shine this area hopefully the more that can maybe affect affect what we do as practitioners yeah definitely without doubt so the future we're going to talk about the future of the academy where where you see things going where you want things to go what your focus is going to be over the next um i suppose weeks months years like where what's your focus going to be where do you see the progression um first and foremost staff um <laughs> we um it's such a key area i know we sort of spoke about it before but it is so so important obviously to get the right people in the right roles um, so we've sort of been going through a recruitment process uh, recently so we've brought in uh, we're just about to bring in a, a full-time sports scientist for the 1916s um, so they'll be sort of spread across those age groups we're looking to well we're just about to hopefully employ a, a psychologist a full-time psychologist that will come in again work across the whole academy in, in different areas um, and on top of there we're, we're looking to bring in three PhD students so it's not quite sort of a signed sealed delivered contract yet so um I won't speak too much about it, but we are sort of just on the cusp, really, of, of, of sorting that out. So, you know, getting those sort of staffing in will be great. And I think it's, I think it's really, really good process to bring in, whether they're PhD guys or prof doc guys. Um, yeah, I just think it adds so much to the department having a bit of a research strategy. I think the development of the staff, as well as just, it's just you know the level of of provision that we can provide just dramatically goes up. You know the level of quali- uh, the level of conversation that you have, and you you're just having a bit more of this conceptual based thinking, really. So that'll be the main thing. Um, facilities wise, we're just in the middle of uh, designing our new gym. So excuse me, we're uh, we're about to or Celtic are about to just start sort of development of their sort of Barrowfield training ground, which is sort of one of our main academy sites we're sort of split on different sites here so that's our kind of main one or will be our main one so we'll have a new building there we'll have a brand new indoor dome and a couple of new pitches and and, and a few other bits and pieces and, and amongst that then we're gonna have a, a brand new gym as well which will be great um so we're just in the middle of, of of designing that which is a really really exciting process um education is probably a, one of the main areas i think that we'll also be looking to push things on here so uh, we spend a lot of time educating players, staff and parents in the areas that we think that we can have a really big effect. So, you know, players age, our sort of schoolboy age groups, aged between sort of 13 to sort of 18s will have every other week. So they'll have some sort of developmental workshop. Um, so whether that's on nutrition, psychology, athletic development, whatever it sort of needs to be really, but it's kind of going to start that process off and um, hopefully, you know, in, in years to come, they're sort of, when the lads become full-time, they've got a very good idea already of what, or high psychology or mental skills coach can, can help them develop and, and sort of perform as, as elite footballers. Um, so that's a really, really key area. Um, so we'll do that not only with with players, but also with staff and parents. So we've got a consultant nutritionist here at the club called uh, Rob Norton. Rob's excellent. We're with him at Liverpool. And um, Rob's already sort of put together some nutrition workshops and bits and pieces, and he's already delivered some to sort of parents. Um to the school program that we've got here uh, which has been great um so so that's kind of like where we're looking to to put push things on really and already within sort of nine months we've we've achieved quite a bit i guess we've um we've implemented a new snc continuum um throughout the whole sort of academy really um we've put in a new physical testing battery we've started our athletes profiling systems off which has been a you know great success so far um we've changed the longitudinal monitoring of you know 
what we look to monitor, how we look to monitor it. Um, we've increased the number of players that we do monitor in terms of internal external loads and increased the number of GPS and heart rate monitors that we use here. Um, we've pushed things on in terms of the maturation side of stuff. So we've changed from the shear equation to the Carmus Roach equation. Um, so we've pushed things on there and just started to increase knowledge and, and, and understanding there of the coaches and the players. And I know um, some of the podcasts that you've had already really here uh, with David and Sam and stuff talking about maturation. So uh, we're very much aligned with a lot of the ideas that they've got there and, and how we're looking to sort of push things on really, um, which is great, you know, and, and it, it's great for our sort of biological testing feedback and just, underlying that process of the importance of, of, of maturation really and, and the effects of it. Uh, we've also changed the nutrition prov- uh, provision um, across the academy. So, you know, what food we're looking to provide and we've tried to periodize that based on the week, based on uh, based on our physical sort of framework model of, of, of pitch-based framework. Um, work with the K and staff on that one, which again has been, has been really good. Plus on top of the pre-training work with the athlete development. So we've had some, um, some yeah, some really good, um, progressions really and some some great early wins to be honest so um <laughs> still a long way to go but it's been a it's been a really enjoyable process uh, it's effectively just a really exciting time to be honest Ben you know it's just just uh you know really exciting time to be part of part of the club and and you know full credit to sort of Celtic really we've been we've been back from the top right from the top from sort of the board down and the manager and um, and Chris McCarthy, sort of the academy director, he's been he's been really, really accommodating, really to the changes that we've looked to put in place. So, um, so we've definitely concentrated on sort of a top down approach, sort of for the last sort of nine months, and we've looked to really harness what we're doing with the with the reserves and the under 18s and getting that to a position where we're we you know we're just we've just pushed on to the next level. And Scott and Mark, have, have been doing some excellent work, really, but you know it has just been trying to take it, you know, just change gear and, and, and go up a level, really. So, you know, once we get the more staff in, then we can we can start concentrating on slightly younger ages and, and sort of build down really. But um, yeah, so they're kind of sort of the main areas and, and what we've been up to, I guess, so far. Well, that sounds amazing. There's some quality work going on. It'd be great to get you on again and maybe in a, in a few months' time just to catch up on the things that you're implementing and just see see how they've been going. I think it's, it sounds like there's some really exciting stuff going on. Yeah, by all means, mate, that'd be great. And, and hopefully we'll be a little bit further down with the prof doc as well. And I'll be able to sort of share some some more insights there really in terms of where we're up to but um yeah i'll be i'll be more than happy and and you know if anybody wants to you know even come up and and, and spend some time with us i'll be more than you know more than welcome to do that i think that's such a great way to learn just to observe and, and be part of processes and and you know exchange visits really i think it's a really important process so so no, that'd be great yeah definitely so if anyone's got questions or if they do want to reach out where's the best place to do that um probably twitter um so my handle is oliver john m um on twitter so um just get in contact there really and then you know we can set up calls or, or whatever or, or meetings or um my email is omorgan at celticfc.co.uk so likewise if you if you want to just send us a shoot us an email that's that's either or really that's great and we can sort of pick things up from there and and um and yeah discuss whatever whatever really no, that's great. I'm sure you'll have a few people uh, reaching out and, and taking you up on that opportunity because that's uh, you don't get off of that every day. So to see the quality work that's going on up there, I think people need to to reach out and get in touch. But thank you very much for your time, uh, 
this afternoon, mate. I really, really appreciate it. It's great to speak to you. Great to catch up on everything that's going on. Um, like I say, it all sounds really exciting and the, uh, everything in terms of the, the prof doc sounds really interesting in an area that I'm really interested in. So it'll be great to see how that develops. No worries, mate. Listen, thanks for, so much for you know inviting me to, to get it on. I think your podcasts have been brilliant. Um, they definitely keep me company, mate, in, my, uh, in some of my commutes up to the next time, which is like about 40, 40 odd minutes away. So, um, no, mate, thanks very much. I think you, you know, keep up the great work. No, I really appreciate that. And you can listen to yourself on the next one. <laughs> I think I can't be doing that one. <laughs> <laughs> No, well, uh, no. Thanks a lot for your time, and we'll um, we'll catch up soon. No worries, Ben. Cheers, mate. Speak to you soon. See you in a bit. Cheers, mate. Big thank you to Oliver for giving up his time and coming on the podcast. It was really great to speak to him about everything that's going on up at Celtic. You can go and follow him. He's on Twitter at Oliver John M, and the O, the J, and the M are all capitals. And then he also was good enough to give his email as well. So that was omorgan at celticfc.co.uk. So if you've got anything you wanted to speak to him or contact him about, I'm sure he'd be welcome to, he'd welcome any uh, discussions or um, anything you want to talk to him about, about how they're preparing up at Celtic. Uh, My biggest takeaways, he spoke about the three focuses, the sport, the player, the environment. So I think that was quite a simple um, way of looking at things, but it really stood out to me. He also talked about the educating the players, teaching them about responsibility, and he, and he mentioned, which is the title of the episode, the Champions League level attitude, which I think would make sense to players and especially younger players in the academy, but it teaches a lot of responsibility, um, attitude at a young age that not only is important in football, but just in life in general as well. So that's obviously something they're working on up there, which sounds great. And then also the the doctorate work that he's going to be doing. So the work on change of direction, uh, the the research they're going to be doing up there, that sounds really good. Um, So keep an eye out for any work that comes out regarding that. And I'm interested in seeing any of the findings and the research that those guys go into. So big thank you to Oliver again for giving up his time. Um, Like I mentioned at the start of the episode, if you have got two minutes, please head over to iTunes and leave us a review. And we'll speak to you again next week.